I, I want to tell you something about me. Maybe you didn't know this, but I always wanted to be a football player. Do I look the part? Good answer. I always wanted to be a football player. I grew up uh, as a kid. Baseball was cool. Uh, I, I loved the Baltimore Orioles growing up. I was born in, in Maryland, and the Orioles were like my favorite team baseball-wise. But uh, we moved when I was young to uh, upstate New York, into Rochester, New York, Henrietta area. And uh, I became a big Bills fan. Let me hear it, Hammonds. <laughs> Who's upset over there? Wow. That was awesome. Uh, the Bills were my team growing up. There, there's a family in our church from that area. And I was excited that they were going to cheer. But uh, not all of them are here for me. And whoever, whoever yelled out, thank you, young, young, young person. But I was an NFL fan from as young as I can remember. And the Bills were my team, especially in those four Super Bowl years. Let's just leave them there. Four Super Bowl years where uh, the Bills went back to back to back and lost back to back to back to back. It was a heartbreaking experience for a young fan uh, like myself. But I still wanted to be a football player, even in those horrible Super Bowl losses. I wanted to play for the Buffalo Bills. But I remained a fan, and our family moved uh, uh, in 1995 down to another upstate. We moved from upstate New York to upstate South Carolina. Big transition in our life, and uh, I quickly became a fan because of uh, another transition that was happening. The, the birth of the Carolina Panthers was happening right before our eyes, and uh, the training camp for the Carolina Panthers was right in the town that we were moving to. So my dad and I, a bunch of Buffalo Bills players came down to the south and became this brand new franchise, the Carolina Panthers. And uh, my dad and I took a bus into uh, to their training camp, and we got to watch these literal giants toss around the football uh, right there in our town. It was an incredible experience, and I was a huge Carolina Panthers fan. Then I went to college in Indiana and became a... Uh, a Colts fan? Is that okay? Became a Colts fan. Uh, loved watching Peyton Manning. Loved that franchise. And uh, now here we are for the last 12 years in Pennsylvania. And I love cheering on our Steelers. But I always wanted to be a football player. Went to a college that didn't have a football team. And as far as I was told, would never have a football team. But here I am in 2019. And I still say I, I would have loved to have played football, but instead when we moved to South Carolina, instead of playing high school football, uh, the youth group that was a part of our church at the time, uh, almost 100% of the people in the youth group in our church in South Carolina were a part of marching band. <laughs> so I traded in a football, the possibility of a football for a trumpet. I traded in the possibility of football cleats for these shiny black shoes. I traded in the opportunity of a football helmet with a sweet logo of the Chesney Eagles on it for a stupid black hat with a yellow plume. <laughs> it was awful. No, it was great. I had a great experience in marching band. I loved being a band geek. It was a great experience for me, but I still wanted to play football. Went to college. Our college didn't have a football team. I said they were never going to have a football team. That has all changed since I graduated, unfortunately. Uh, but I did have a great four-and-a-half-year run as uh, an underrated intramural football player at uh, Indiana Wesleyan University. You won't see my name on anywhere, uh, but... We were pretty incredible. 
I always wanted to play football. I wanted to be a football player. But if I'm honest, I may have always wanted to play football, but I secretly and now publicly doubt whether I really could have done it. As I watch, even on the high school level, some of the rigor and the, the responsibility of students as they play football on any level, it's pretty incredible the amount of effort that goes into playing the game of football. I may tell you that I wanted to play football in college, but what I really mean is I wish I had a, a helmet and a jersey on display in my office, and I could just say, yeah, I sat on the bench. I, I, that would be fine. <laughs> I really wanted to play football. The truth is, though, I've never been a football player. Yeah, I've played a lot of pickup games in the snow. We played uh, on, on break a lot uh, in my youth ministry uh, career. I quarterbacked a lot of football games as a youth pastor in three states. But I was never really a football player. Now, the only football I really play is as an armchair quarterback like most of you. Or I sit back yell at the screen, I'll be doing some yelling and some praying against the New England team. <laughs> Lord save Tom Brady. I just said his name. I do a lot of armchair quarterbacking in my old age. And I think the truth is Armchair quarterbacking is much easier than really being in the game. What would it take for me to be a football player today? It would take some pretty incredible miracles. Wanting to be a football player and even trying in my life hasn't made me a football player. It would take a total change of career for me to play football today. It would take daily training and exercise and a, a rigor of practice that I have never known. It would take a completely different way of life to not just want to play football, but to be a football player. I think it's interesting, and I want us to note today that I think the same is true about our lives as Christians. I've been reading a brand new book called Grown Up Faith by one of our Wesleyan pastors down in the south in Atlanta. Pastor Kevin Myers writes this book and he, uh, in the opening chapter, attempts to ask, answer the question why people get stuck in their faith walk. And there's a phrase that I've already underlined, uh, highlighted, and even drawn an asterisk by in my book where he says, quote, we, the church, try out faith instead of training in our faith. We try it out. Uh, again, in the opening chapter of the book, uh, Pastor Kevin talks a lot about the thousands, literally thousands of conversations he's had with people in his pastoral ministry that he's interacted with that often uh, use a phrase where they say that they have tried. They, they say this phrase, but, uh, but, uh, but I really tried in something. And I can uh, sympathize in my own ministry in the last 15 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, there's been many, many conversations that I've had and that I've even spoken these same phrases in seasons of life. And I've heard a lot this way. Listen to this. Uh, people say, I, I really try 
to love my spouse, but my marriage is still breaking down. I, I really try to get fit, but I can't lose weight. My health is failing. I, I really try, pastor, to live on a budget, but our finances are still a wreck. I really try to walk with God. I really try to be the Christian I know I need to be, but my faith still just doesn't work. Can I tell you, on the positive, in most cases, uh, uh, effort really has been made when we say those kinds of statements. We really do try. We are a trying culture. We try our hand at so many things. I tried to sweep my driveway this morning. (laughs) I tried to clear Jess's vehicle off this morning. She had to do it again. Effort does get put forth in our Culture effort does get put forth in the church global, but can we admit it? Trying just hasn't been enough. Another phrase that Pastor Kevin uses in the book is he says, trying can never match the power of training. Me growing up trying to be a football player in all the ways that I tried never would hold up. To me, actually training to do it. Another question, why would we believe that we could follow Jesus Christ by trying instead of training? When that strategy, trying instead of training, doesn't work anywhere else in life. Growing up spiritually comes from training in faith and becoming dependent on God. This morning, I want to turn to God's Word in a conversation that... Paul has with uh, one of his disciples, Timothy, a young pastor. We're going to find this uh, story developing in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. I want to remind you, if you have uh, your smartphone, you can follow along on the Bible app. You can download the Bible app right here, right now. Get on the guest Wi-Fi, be a part of that. Uh, Download the app, follow an outline. It'd be a wonderful opportunity for you to follow along that way. The scripture is laid out for you there and on the screen in front of you. Would you listen as I read from 1 Timothy chapter 4? A great interaction reminder uh, from, look at him as coach today. Paul coaching young Timothy in the faith and in the ministry. Allow these words to minister to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 6. Paul to Timothy. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Verse 7. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why, Timothy, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it holds for our lives. Would you, Lord, convict our spirits? Would you help us? Would you help us to desire training in what it means to carry out your mission 
in what it means to follow after Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember again quickly this morning that Paul is training Timothy. In this letter, in his second letter to Timothy, he is writing to a pastor in the trenches. And if you remember, Paul uh, is a once persecutor of the church who experienced a radical transformation from Jesus himself. A fascinating transformation. If you don't know how to find that, please talk to me after church. Paul is writing these words to Timothy as a reminder of what is important in his ministry. As he is leading others closer into relationship with Jesus, Paul is uh, bestowing on Timothy these challenges. The first five verses of this chapter, chapter 4, Paul alerts Timothy to the fact that there are those in the church, there are those in his ministry who will fall away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. They will follow after false teachers. They are, in his ministry, hypocrites and liars with dead consciences, he says. Paul says that some, even in the church, will teach that it's wrong to be married or to eat certain foods. Then he tells Timothy, he he gives him this imperative that he can know what is right and acceptable by God and his word and through prayer. He lays out the reality that things aren't great in his ministry, in his church, but that he can know, he can trust God through his word and by prayer. Then in these verses this morning, he commands Timothy to teach the importance of training. I want to find for us this morning two reminders in these verses, specifically verses 6 to 8, on what it takes for us to exercise our spiritual Muscles, And I'm going to be honest with you, this is the first uh, of a series of messages that we're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines of what it means to be trained up to follow after Christ. The first reminder from Paul to Timothy comes from verse 7 where he says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. First reminder, stop wasting your time. Stop wasting time. Paul tells Timothy, stop wasting your time with the inconsequential. This is a a reminder for us together today, again, uh, that there is work to be done as followers of Jesus Christ, that the church united has a, a job to do. Again, the role in which we are here today is not simply because this building is open on a Sunday morning. We believe that we are the church of Jesus Christ and we have his mission for the world. We talk about it often. As we talk about our responsibility to be His, Jesus' hands and feet in the world around us, the church doesn't happen right here only on Sundays. We have to stop wasting time. Distractions are the norm. We will continually to be bombarded by distractions in this world, but we must make a concerted effort as the church of Jesus Christ, as those following after Jesus, to remove those distractions, to focus on the task at hand. Early in Paul's letter to Timothy in chapter 1, he writes this, You may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. 
This trend in uh, Timothy's uh, church, this uh, reality that he's experiencing is that uh, the church is being distracted by meaningless things. They're, they're just wandering around. They're getting distracted. They're, they're not focused on the mission. They're focused on carpet color. They're focused on whether people are happy. They're distracted by the mission of presenting the gospel in a relevant way. The hope of Jesus Christ that a, a lost and dying world is lost and dying without. This trend of being distracted and forgetting our, our training is a reality of our fallen state. This is the, the way things are because of sin in our world. We will always be distracted. But Paul's command to Timothy and to us is, is striking, I think. Don't waste time. Here, Coach Paul. Don't waste your time. Have nothing to do with the pointless, godless ideas of the world. You are in a different league, Timothy. I love this kind of coach talk, even though I didn't have a coach. <laughs> I've had lots of coaches in ministry in my life. Get your head in the game, Paul says to Timothy. Get your head in the game. Focus on what's important. Don't be distracted by the things around you that are meaningless and frivolous. Paul's reminding his young quarterback, you're training. You're training for much more than just being an armchair quarterback, Tim. Stop trying and start training. It's interesting to note in this scripture that uh, Paul talks about these godless myths, these old wives' tales. They probably refer to uh, the things that are spiritually bankrupt in the, the culture and that have uh, worked their way into the churches around. They, these are the things that run counter to the word of God. They're wasteful, frivolous things, not uh, worthy of serious attention. Do they exist today? Let me tell you. They do. Unfortunately, one of the best places to hear gossip, to hear meaningless conversation, still exists in the church of Jesus Christ. In a place where we should know better, it still abounds. Paul would yell from the sideline to you and me today, have nothing to do with them because they are distractions from your true goal of living out the gospel, the hope offered through Jesus Christ. For me personally, back to football, if, if Paul uh, were to deliver this letter to me today, he would slap me for telling you the story of when I became an eligible receiver on one Friday night as an intramural football player, and I caught the game-winning touchdown. I don't know if that really happened or not. I remember it that way. Paul would slap us. He would roll his eyes at the way we yell at the screen of those playing football. He would roll his eyes and tell us to stop. 
as we look at others. And we get distracted from our first love, Jesus Christ. Paul lived and breathed with a passion for the gospel game, the real game. He knew a lifetime of training is what it would take to press on uh, in this following after Jesus. Jesus himself was the ultimate reminder of this reality, that it's an all-in-or-nothing style game. We can't try to be Christians. We have to train to be Christians. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, If any of you, that's us, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must Show up at Hyde Wesleyan Church only on the Sundays that they have services. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus says, you must give up your own way. Take up something ugly like that, your own cross. Follow after me. Give up yourself, humble yourself, die to yourself, be willing to die for him. Follow him. If you try to hang on to your life, Jesus continues, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? What do you gain if you're popular in your neighborhood? What do you gain if you're okay in your neighbor's life? in their conversations about you? What do you gain if you're okay in your workplace and people don't think you're weird? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world? What do you gain if you are just like everyone else but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul, Jesus asks? That's one of those famous Jesus rhetorical questions. Do you know the answer? Nothing is more valuable than your soul. Jesus came to live a perfect, blameless life. To surrender his perfect, blameless life for your soul. Greater love has no one and to give up his life for another. Exercising our spiritual muscles, training. Training is the only way that we're going to press on toward the prize that Christ has for us. Laying down our pride, our selfishness, our way, our will. This is what is demanded of us if we are to follow after Jesus. Can I say it this way? Shame on us for settling for armchair Christianity. Just like me yelling at the screen when I see someone throwing a football at a wrong time or into the wrong team's hands. Shame on me. Shame on us for not being in the game ourselves. Let's be honest, we want God to provide 
We want God to heal. We want God to move in our lives and our relationships. We want him to provide all that's necessary for us to live life to the full. We want uh, him in our hearts and our lives. And we want him, his presence in the uh, lives and hearts of the people that we love, the people in our community. And yet, if we're honest, we haven't really shown up for practice. We've asked God to do all that he can do in our community, in our, in our world, in our lives. And we just want him to do it. And we ask him to use us if it's convenient, if it doesn't hurt too bad, if it doesn't make me look like Pastor Steven. Weird. I think we often try things that have an appearance of godliness. We, we want God to love us and to use us all without appearing too much, too radical, too much like a, a Jesus freak to our neighbors. Maybe we're even guilty of watering down what we believe. We, we hold back our, our beliefs because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to present the truth in a way that is difficult for people to understand, people to agree with. Again, I believe this is an armchair Christianity. <laughs> we bought the discount jersey at TJ Maxx because it was on sale. We put it on on game day and we cheer for those who are really, really doing it. But man, don't ask me. Don't ask me to even show up for practice. Don't ask me to train. Scripture gets even more difficult for us here. Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5. Paul says this to Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure, convenience, rather than God. Verse 5. They will even act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away, Paul says to Timothy. Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. I don't know about you, but there's some characteristics in there that your pastor has been guilty of a time or two, maybe today. Stay away from people like that. We've got work to do. He's called us to stop wasting time. The job is before us. There are lost people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces here this morning. 
The first reminder, stop wasting time. The second, I already gave it away, comes from the second part of verse 7 and uh, all of verse 8. Instead, Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the one life to come. The second reminder, train to be godly. Again, we know the differences in our uh, culture, in our life, in every experience we've had. We know the difference between trying to do something and training to do something. If you've ever watched American Ninja Warrior, you know how awesome of a show that is, right? Can I hear an amen? Okay, you're scared to say amen. Amen. American Ninja Warrior. What a show. If you've ever watched that show, you know how ridiculous it would be for your pastor. Roll the clip. No, I'm just kidding. There is no clip. (laughs) Thank you. You know how ridiculous it would be for me tomorrow to go try to be on America Ninja Warrior. But can I tell you that there are nights when we're watching clips from America Ninja Warrior and I'm eating a bag of Doritos in sweatpants and I'm like, I can do that. You're laughing because you do the same thing. (laughs) Thankfully, in our family, there's only one set of eyes that roll into the back of her head when I say things. (laughs) The truth is, trying versus training is an obvious reality in our world. I know it would be the stuff of YouTube fail videos if I were to go try to do any one of those obstacles. No matter what I feel like from the comfort of my bag of Doritos. Trying would be silly. Similarly, the truth is that when you and I try to be godly, when we try to look like God, when we try with our own human efforts, the result is silly. It looks a lot like self-righteousness, doesn't it? No one did you ever find yourself? Maybe you don't. I do. I find myself going, oh my goodness, what a joke. I don't want to try. I want to train. I think we're almost professionals in the church today of labeling people as godly or not based on our, our human measurements, the highly visible, the outside superficial, relatively superficial practices that we usually mark people by whether they are truly a follower of Christ. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't measure people like I do like we are prone to do. Jesus' focus wasn't on whether someone tried to do the right thing, but whether they were becoming the right person. Whether they were willing to jump in and train. In all of my training for things, guess how often I get things wrong? Often. But I'm still training to get better. I told you before that one of my favorite quick character Bible passages is about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. His life as a sinful, cheating tax collector was transformed in the moments in his interactions with Jesus. He had such a transformation that he offers to do immeasurably more than was asked of him. Look at Luke 19 verses 8 to 10. This is a life marked by Jesus. Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he says, After his interaction with Jesus, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. 
And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus' response at Zacchaeus's about face, his transformation and his actions. Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's transformation. That's godliness. That's not just trying to follow the ways of God. That's doing. Here again in 1 Timothy, Paul has little interest in teaching young Timothy that the early church leaders are to just simply be good people. Paul says, and we say, that's not enough. Anyone can be good, right? Anyone can fake what it means to be good on the outside. Paul says, rather, train yourself to be godly. Why would Paul encourage Timothy to be trained for godliness? He he equates the same reality of training physically. We know that that's where life change happens. That's where life transformation happens. Physical training has its benefits. Paul acknowledges it. It's good. It's needed. It's necessary. So it is with training to be like Christ. Paul says training now benefits this life, not just the life to come. The question remains before us. This is nothing new. Nothing brand new, earth-shattering. The question remains in front of us. What does training for being like Christ really look like? I want to, over the course of a couple of weeks together, Remember to focus in on, to be retrained in spiritual disciplines that are paramount. They are foundational to our walk with Christ, our faith. I'm going to call them holy habits. And I want us to train together in them again. And how we can continue to grow to be more like Jesus. These holy habits will be the activities that when done with the proper motives will develop more of Christ in us. You know and I know there is value in engaging in disciplines because they allow us to do what we can't do on our own willpower alone. Training requires discipline. Discipline helps us to achieve the things we can't do on our own trying. So I invite you, join me, join us in living out, training for, becoming, every day, more like Jesus. Will you stand with me? our heads. Jesus, you truly do want all of us. I don't just mean all of us in this room, but you want all of me, everything. You want to use it for your glory, for your purposes. And Lord, I pray that that reality would be more than just something we say in a church setting. 
but that that truth would begin to percolate something in deep inside of each of us as we, again, agree to be in training for Christ-likeness. Lord, would you help us as we uncover these holy habits, as these disciplines are revealed to us, as we talk about some of them, as we uh, begin to practice them and go train together as individuals and in groups for your purposes. Lord, I just ask that you would give us strength and stick to Help us to sense your presence and your power, your strength. Help us to hear from you in each of them. And to practice, to train, so that we can be, truly be, your hands and feet, the initiators of the hope you offer to this world. Help us to realize the job we've been given as your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Go in the peace of our Lord and Savior. We appreciate your help. If you're able to help us get the chairs lifted, thank you. God bless you.